Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. We're in a vision series as a church called Only God, where we're discovering that the plans and the dreams that we have for our lives are often small compared to what God desires to do in and through us. Enjoy the message. Let's hit the text. We're going uh, Acts 1, verse 1, and um, and we're going to be really only through the first eight verses today, So, uh, but they're like really incredible verses. How many of y'all, you've watched a really killer movie, uh, and man, it just hit so hard. It was like one of your favorite movies of all time. And then you got wind that they were coming out with a sequel. And you were like, bro, don't, don't jack this up. You know what I mean? Like Lion King 2 is not going to hit as hard as Lion King 1. You know what I'm saying? And it didn't. It was not. It was garbage. So there's some, there's some that, are, that are some that are just not good. And then sometimes the sequel is really good. Sometimes the sequel is like, Amazing. Sometimes better than than the first installment, even. And the book of Acts is actually a sequel. It's written by a guy named Luke. And Luke is a Gentile doctor. He's a contemporary of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's a leader in the local church, and he's commissioned. A lot of Bible scholars believe he's commissioned by a guy named Theophilus to write both his good news account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and also his account of the early church. And we say that because in the very first verse of Acts, he credits. He's like, "Yo, Theophilus, yo, Theo," and he shouts out Theo. And then if you go back to his account, his gospel account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So Luke has a gospel account, and if you go to his, he he addresses Theophilus as most excellent Theophilus which is a, an honorary title given to Roman officials. So Theophilus is kind of a big deal, more than likely commissions this work, and, uh, which I think is really cool. But, um, but this is the sequel. Acts is the sequel to uh, the book of Luke. And I love the gospel of Luke because it's got like a lot. I mean, Jesus is like son of man in the gospel of Luke. He's just like you know, in it with us. And, and there's all these different details that are in Luke. Matter of fact, there's so, uh, Luke gives so much writing in both the gospel account and also the book of Acts. There's more that he writes than all that Paul writes in the new new Testament combined in just two books. And so, um, he's into details. He's telling us some things, showing us some things that we're not going to see elsewhere. And I can't think of a more appropriate way for us as a church family, as we step into this new season, celebrating the first five years of what God has done than to really just making sure that we're not having mission drift as we step into a new season and and the next five years. And the way to do that is to just be reminded of what it's all about. And really the book of Acts is supposed is the whole goal is to center us and focus us. What are we actually called to do as a church? What, What are we supposed to be about? How is this supposed to work? And the book of Acts is this template that we see in the New Testament church. Verse one, it says this, in my former book, Theophilus, he's talking about his gospel account. I wrote about all the, all that Jesus began to do. And I love that he says all the things that Jesus began to do as if to say, Jesus is still doing things. 
Like, I gave you a gospel account. I gave you a story about his life, his death, his resurrection. That's what he began to do. Guess what? Now I'm going to tell you what he's going to continue to do, but he's going to continue to do it through his church. And he says, Jesus began to do these things and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And so Luke is writing to Theophilus. And, um, and it's, it's, a, it's a cool thing because Theophilus is, is a key ingredient to all of this. Again, if he's commissioning the work... He's a key player in the fact that we get the gospel of Luke. Now, the Holy Spirit could have left it out, but I think he left it in there for a reason. Because, again, all this is divinely inspired, both his gospel account and the book of Acts. Why does he leave it in there? I think he leaves it in there because Theophilus has a part to play in all that God's doing. And if he does commission the work and if he does fund uh, the ministry and if he is invested uh, emotionally, probably spiritually, time, talent, all the things in the fact, like, he's a Roman official and the message and the hope of Jesus has gotten on him in such a way that he's willing to, like, get behind it. I just think it's really cool that Luke leaves it in there. And I think it's for us in this season. And, uh, but he tells Theophilus, he says, I'm writing this to give you uh, the facts about who Jesus is, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Luke is primarily focused on facts. Again, he's a physician by trade. Uh, he's a historian as a writer. So he's really like, hey, here's what happened. Right. Here's eyewitness accounts for all that took place. And I think there's two main drivers, really two main ingredients for the early church when it comes to the impact that we see in the book of Acts. There's two things that compels the church to do all that they do. The reality of the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Those two things. So here's the first one. The reality of his resurrection. And, and it's so important because for us as believers of Jesus, everything in our faith hinges on the resurrection of Christ. Either you believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, or this is just an epic waste of time, I promise you, okay? So either Jesus came out of the grave, or as Paul says, we're of all people most to be pitied. Like, this is just so dumb if Jesus is not alive. But he is alive, and so we have all of these convincing proofs. What's so great about our faith in Christ is uh, it's so different than, than any other world religion, than any other worldview. Uh, all of these other worldviews and faiths and religions are really centered on a, a belief system. And so it's about, you know, there's one kind of key player or person driving this belief system. And then when they die, a lot of times there's a group, there's a remnant to kind of come together. Hey, let's just keep it together. we got to keep this belief system together. we got to drive this thing forward. The difference between the Christian faith and those faiths is, is ours isn't centered so much on morality or belief system as it is on an event. So the Christian faith is centered on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's it. Center on the person of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus. All that we do as a church is, is, is centered on that. So much so that when the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, when he's going and planting new churches, he's going to places where nobody has any context. No one has a Torah. No one has an Old Testament. No one cares. None of them jokers had ever even heard of Jesus. They served all kinds of gods or no gods at all. Paul rolls up and is like, let me tell you about Jesus. And so he begins to tell people about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And they build, they actually come to faith in Christ, give their life. Over, they're in right relationship with God without even having context a lot of times. Let that hit for a minute. So everything's centered on the resurrection of Jesus. 
And so it's a big deal. And uh, because, you know, it's like the first time, you know, what I mean, like nobody's ever raised themselves from the dead before. It's kind of a big deal. And, and it's hard um, even for the early followers of Jesus to really kind of wrap their minds around it. The, the, the disciples of Jesus don't even really believe initially that Jesus is resurrected. And I love that. Mary Magdalene comes back with word. She's experienced firsthand the resurrection of Christ, the reality of Jesus being alive. She's seen him. Like, she's like, no, you don't understand. Like, I was there. And, uh, but they're having such a hard time with this. And, and I love it. Uh, it just, it makes me feel a little bit better. Um, because they're just thinking, man, it doesn't make any sense. And then in Mark 16, Jesus shows up and he begins to give them, you know, he begins to elbow him a little bit. He's like, do you guys remember what I taught? Like, like I, I called my shot. I said exactly what was going to happen. Like, were you there? We're celebrating Passover together. Like, you know, I said all these things. This is how it was going to play out. And then it played out exactly how I said. And then Jesus invites his disciples to touch his wounds, to touch his physical body. Hey, I'm real. Luke 24 is really encouraging to me because Jesus is hungry, shows up, and, uh, and he's like, hey, y'all got anything to eat? This is post-resurrection, which, which tells me, okay, I don't know what your theology is of heaven. Heaven is not some, like, not some you're not going to float on a cloud with naked baby angels and harps and things like that. It's new heaven, new earth, new creation. Jesus' resurrection body, he comes back in a resurrected form, and then he eats, fam. Oh, that excites me so much. That's just small. Write that down. I know it has absolutely nothing. To, it's just like it's exciting. And so, um, but also the Bible tells us that there's a resurrected form. And in my mind, it's like the most redeemed version of your body. Like you at 21 or whatever you're like when you like are ripped up or whatever, but you're still eating what you want to eat. It's amazing. So, um, okay, cool. But, but the faith in the resurrection of Jesus is important for several reasons. One, their own spiritual fervency and power really depends on it. So it's that when they experience the resurrection of Christ, they're like, God can do anything. This is crazy. This is wild. Like, and so it stirs their faith to, to, to believe for the impossible because they've experienced it firsthand. The second thing is that the message of the gospel requires the truth of the resurrection. In other words, it's only gospel, which means good news. It's only good news if Jesus is alive. If Jesus is not alive, it's not that good news. I mean, it's just not, it's just not that, who cares? So, and, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the reason why it matters, uh, selfishly, I really love 1 Corinthians 15 as a resurrection passage because Paul says, hey, here's the reason for Jesus' resurrection, your resurrection. Like Jesus didn't need it, you did. And so he says, hey, you, the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus has implications for your own. So your marriage that feels dead can come alive. So for you who feel like you're just kind of going through the motions and you have no purpose in life and no real focus and you're just, you hate your job and everything about it and you feel depressed, like, like that part of you can come alive. For the person who just feels like a lack of joy, for a lack of freedom. You've been struggling with the same thing, same addiction, same sin, same brokenness. And God's like, I got you. But you, you know, you got to put your full weight on it. You got to really trust me with your life. You got to really surrender and give in to the resurrection of Jesus, the hope that comes with it. 
And another reason for the, re- the, the faith in the resurrection of Jesus is important is because the official Jewish, uh, Jewish position at the time of Jesus' death and resurrection was that, well, maybe somebody stole the body. Somebody stole the body. Except Jesus presents himself uh, to the early followers that he had, and there's more accounts of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus than any ancient historical figure, than any, than any event in ancient history. More eyewitness accounts. The Bible tells us that at one point uh, in Corinthians, it tells us that at one point that Jesus presences, he, he shows up on the scene and there's over 500 people there while he's there in resurrected form. Now, listen, you get like one or two people to like lie. You can get like 13 people, maybe 20 some people. You can't get 500 people to do anything together. And I know I lead a church. You can't, you can't, you can't get 500 people to do, they're just going to do whatever they want to do. And every single one of them like, yeah, we experienced a resurrected Jesus. And so the early church, the believers in the resurrection of Jesus, they led with that story and everything kind of centered off of that. It's like, what is it that sets acts apart? The reality of his resurrection and the power of his Holy Spirit. That's it. They're so close to the action that proximity matters. So part of the reason why Acts looks the way that it does, because it's so close to the action. They're so close to Jesus, like literally, he's standing right there. They're so close to, to his death and his resurrection, but they're all so close to these first, these eyewitnesses, the people who experienced it firsthand. And I just want to encourage you, if you need that, and many of you need that, we all need it to some degree, but some of us need it maybe for the first time ever. You got to get around, you got to get closer to the action. If you need to experience the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, if there's parts of your life that feel dead, that you know that God can speak into, but maybe for whatever reason, you've just been doing religious activity or trying to manage your sin on your own or just kind of like doing religious things, like that is not going to work. It's not going to work. You got to get around the reality of his resurrection. And so I would say start there because that's where Jesus starts. And so if you're here and if you don't have, uh, if you don't have a saving faith, if you don't, like you're kicking the tires of faith or a family member brought you and, and you kind of mentally assent to the idea of Jesus, but you never had a moment where you fully put your weight and faith and trust that he is who he says he is, I would say we got to start there because you can't experience what God wants for you if you don't first deal with what he's already done for you. He lived, he died, he rose again. Verse 3, we're only in verse 3, okay? So verse 3, here we go, Acts 1, 3, he goes on. He appeared to them, Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God, kingdom of God being like Jesus' primary message, ushering in the presence and the way of God is what he starts about when, when, he's, when he starts on the scene. But I love it because it says that Jesus shows up to this group of people after he's resurrected for 40, over 40 days. And he spends time with his disciples and he teaches them and he encourages them in, in even new things, things that he hasn't already taught them up to this point. And I love it because Jesus appeared during those 40 days. And, and as the Bible tells us that as he appeared, he just kind of just randomly appears, which I think is brilliant accountability. You know what I mean? I'm just like, you never know. You know what I mean? Like, like you're just eating, guys are hanging out, having dinner, whatever, joking, cutting up. Jesus just like pops up on the scene. Like, what's up? You know, like, and so I love it because it's just like, and, and, and it also prepares. So it prepares them 
uh, it kind of weans them of a dependency on him uh, to be there in physical form. Jesus tells his followers in the book of Acts, hey, the only thing better than me walking alongside of you, doing ministry alongside of you is my spirit in you. So like, let's get ready. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to just not be as present physically. Uh, but he does presence himself and he does, he does teach them things. He shows back up on the scene, which I think also prepares me and you. Uh, it, it prepares us as followers as well. And so, um, because the Bible tells us that nobody knows when Christ comes, when he's going to return. No one knows. So you, you and I, we kind of go through life and we just, we're doing our thing and we go work our job and we have our punch list of stuff that we have to do kind of on the rat, rat wheel a little bit. And we never really stop and really fully take in the fact that, man, might not wake up tomorrow. Not really promised, like, uh, forever. And, and Jesus' return, I, I need to be ready, the Bible tells us, when he returned. Nobody knows when he's coming. Your mom doesn't know. Alex Trebek didn't know. Oscar from The Office didn't know. Elon Musk, like, whoever, like, smart people in your life, they, don't, they, they just don't know. And I believe that Jesus... Uh, taught his followers several really important things during this 40 days. Look at this in verse 4. He says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. It's a command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And... And I, I love this because Jesus says, hey, here's your first job, okay? It's a really big deal. Uh, early church, leaders, the guys that I assembled, I recruited you, I chose you, I'm going to hand the baton to you, you're going to lead the church. Here's your first job. Nothing, okay? Your first job is to just like wait. It's not nothing, but it's wait. Don't go anywhere. Stay in the city. Don't come and go. I need you to wait. Not wait passively. Wait fervently. Pray expect show up but like wait you got to wait on me and my timing and I just want to encourage some of you because some of you are praying for good things to happen in your life uh, in your relationships uh, in the direction that God has for you in the call and just feeling uh, a sense of security or a sense of belonging or a sense of family or whatever um, but good things always the good things that God has for me the, the best things that I've experienced in life has come after a season of waiting and he says, hey, it's a gift. I'm going to give you a gift. And I'm Because if you guys try and do it in your own strength, it's just a reminder. If you go out and you're trying to be witnesses, all of them are excited. All of them have experienced resurrected Jesus. And Jesus is like, awesome. Uh, don't go tell anybody about me because you're going to ruin it. Okay, so I'm going to give you a gift. And here's what happens. Uh, Jesus says, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he, Jesus makes a distinction between water baptism and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. He used another phrase, clothed from power on high. And these are guys that already believe in him. Like they already believe. And so uh, like we practice and we're getting ready to do water baptism, which is basically you're just telling everybody, hey, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I put my faith and my trust there, and I'm going public with my faith. I just want other people to know what I'm about and who I am. 
And so we've already got many people who are signed up for baptism, uh, signed up for baptisms. And if that's you, that's your next step. Water baptism, repentance baptism is what it is. Death to an old self, Colossians says, being raised to new life in Christ. But then Jesus says, you can, you can believe in me. You can even have a relationship with me because they do have a relationship. And some of you, you have a relationship with Christ. You've experienced salvation, but you really just feel like you lack power. And Jesus says, hey, there's more. I, like, I can empower you. I can immerse you in my spirit in such a way that you begin to say things, do things, think things. You begin to become more like me, Jesus says, as you're immersed in my spirit. And so this is what he's telling them. And uh, Acts 1, 6 through 7, it says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. And so all these guys are excited because Jesus is, you know, he's, he's uh, pre-death and resurrection. Everybody thought he was new King David. Every thought, everybody thought he was going to ride in on a white horse with a big sword. Boom, like new, new world order, you know, take Rome out, that kind of thing. And then post-resurrection, as his followers, you're thinking... All right, cool. Well, you know, because beforehand you're like military conqueror and then he dies on a cross. You're like, well, maybe not. And then after resurrection, you're like, okay, that is wild. And so they begin to kind of lean back in. Hey, Jesus, are you, are you going to restore this kingdom to Israel? And then Jesus says, man, and what's wild is this is exactly what's happening as Jesus answers them. He already is restoring uh, the kingdom to Israel. But he says, it's not for you to know the time or the dates that the father is set by his own authority. And then verse 8, I'm going to camp out right here. Verse 8 says this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That verse is like the biggest verse in the entire book of Acts. Out of everything that we cover, it's kind of sad because it's the first week. But this is what we keep referencing. The fact that Jesus says, hey, here's how I'm going to accomplish what I'm going to accomplish. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it's the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. We've already covered that in previous verses. I got to experience the resurrection of Christ and now I've got to experience his power. And so, uh, and it's a big deal because Jesus is getting ready to hand the local church to this next group of leaders. Have you ever been entrusted with something, somebody said, hey, this is your responsibility. I'm going to entrust you with this. And then you were just really stressed. You were going to jack it up. Like, I don't know if this is depart this department. I'm going to ruin this department. You know what I'm saying? Or like, hey, my friend asked me to watch their plants, and I'm going to kill all them plants in like a two-week period. Or worse, the cat or whatever. Like, you know, whatever the thing is. I remember when we were new parents. This is the case for new parents a lot of times. Uh, Anna was born, and she choked in the hospital day one. And so just laying there and begins, she just stops breathing. And it happened when the lady came by to take photos. You know, in the hospital, babies are all, you know, I mean, they just came out of the womb and everything's not real quite, you know, it's just like, it's a little mangled still, you know, got a cone head. It's just not, give them a couple days, you know what I'm saying? But they want to take a picture like day one. They're like, come on, let's take a picture. And so uh, lady comes in to take a picture. She stops breathing. Lady looks at me and I'm like, 
bro, I'm new. Like you have a, you have a name tag and a, a, and a key fob and like, like this is, you know, and so, and she's looking at me like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, nothing. But the nurse comes in after her shift is getting ready to end and somebody else is getting ready to come. Nurse looks at us and she's like, hey, I'm getting ready to leave. And we're like, no, you're not. <laughs> and she says, hey, I'm leaving, but somebody else is coming and they can help you. And they're here, whatever you need. And, and it was such an encouragement to know, hey, she was present. We experienced, like, the gift of her helping our daughter breathe. But, hey, there's someone else who's also equally equipped, and they can come and they can step into this space. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying when he's saying, hey, I'm going to put my spirit in you. He said, the only thing better than me walking alongside of you, doing ministry alongside of you, is my spirit in you. You have, a, you have a comforter. You have a helper. You have someone. At any given time, you can go to God, and you can ask in prayer. He'll give you guidance and direction for your life. And so the story of Acts is the handoff. Jesus, who is God in flesh, ushers in a movement and starts the church. And what's wild is you and I are here because he started it. That's the only reason why we're in the room. You ever been to a ball game at a stadium? I know it's football season. And somebody starts the wave. And, uh, but it's like super strong. You know what I mean? Like whoever that, like student section, whatever's happening there. But it makes it all the way around. But it's super strong. Like everybody's invested. You know what I mean? Uh, and then sometimes you go to a ball game and they start the wave and it just goes, and it just like fizzles out. And you got that one poor guy who's fully committed and no one else stands up. And, and so I just think, Go with me. Uh, the book of Acts, Jesus starts the wave. And you and I, to whatever degree we participate, are still a part of that today. 2,000 years plus removed, the local church, we're still riding off of his start. And, 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 and empowered by really God himself. The story of Acts is the story of Jesus who starts this movement and a new way to be in relationship with God and then hands off the movement to his followers. And there is no plan B, by the way. Jesus says, okay, in case you guys are complete idiots, uh, I'm going to send some more. Like he, he basically just says, all right, y'all got this. Rely on my spirit. Hey, the reality of the resurrection, empowered by my spirit, go. And, and it's so crazy that you and I are God's plan to reach other people. If no one has ever told you, you are God's plan to reach someone in your, in your span of care, in your family, at work, your friends, whatever. There's, there's an assignment on your life and there's a mission field that you have, people that you can reach and serve in ways that nobody else in this room can. Doesn't matter how eloquent somebody preaches, there's a call and assignment for you specifically to share and be a witness, but it all starts by being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse four through eight, again, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. It's not even, a, you can't even negotiate it. It's just, if the power's on you, you will witness in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so if you're taking notes, here's, here's a key ingredient in all of this is the power of his Holy Spirit. So the reality of his resurrection, the power of his Holy Spirit, and, and here Jesus is reminding the disciples of what he's already talked about. But in John 14, again, hours before his death, literally for chapters, he just talks about what's getting ready to take place. The Holy Spirit. John 14, he says this, And I will ask the Father, and the Father will give you another helper, 
My shift's over. Somebody's coming. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you, and I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so it's so encouraging uh, that the way that we accomplish what God wants to accomplish is his strength and his power, not yours or mine. So... uh, If somebody comes to faith in Christ at Soma, it's because God saved somebody. If someone experiences freedom, struggles with addiction for years, and then it just finally, like, there's breakthrough, it's because God brought freedom. If someone, if the light bulb goes off and someone's like, I know exactly why I made, and then they step into the purpose and it just feels like that sweet spot where just everything, like, that's God. Like, it's only God doing what only God can do, and we got to be totally reliant on that we got to continue to be relying on that as a church family. we got to keep the main things the main things. We cannot mission drift. And so in the scriptures, if you see someone uh, doing a miraculous thing, it's not them. It's God through them. So if we see signs and wonders and if we see miraculous things in the life of our church and if we see incredible generosity and if we see a ton of people come to faith in Christ, we've had over a thousand people come to faith in Christ since we started this church and we weren't even good at, that's not even including the first year because we were garbage at numbers. We were just like, there's no way, we just won't even keep track, you know what I mean? Like, and, and it's just like, it's nuts, but it's all God. It's all God doing what only he can do. And in the scriptures, Anytime you see this, man, they're just listening and applying what God's asked them to do and just being obedient and surrendering their life. They're a vessel for God's work. In God's story, ordinary people are doing extraordinary things because the Spirit of God is at work in their lives. That's it. And so we've got to want more of it. We've got to ask for it. Um, While some of us have the gift of evangelism, for example, all of us are required to be witnesses, he says. Every single one of us. You got to be a witness. And, and you don't have to print tracks and you don't have to fly halfway across the world. You just got to look up. You just got to, when the moment happens, when there's an opportunity for you to share your faith and your convictions with others, here's what God's done in my life. Share. You got to be weird about it. You just share. Here's who I am in Jesus. What ha- the, the church is so passive. We're so afraid today. And I'm not saying... I'm not saying, um, I'm saying be aggressive. I'm not saying come at people hard or judgmental or any of those things, but I'm saying be bold in your faith. Be ready to witness to other people. Be empowered by the Spirit. And so uh, it's so important for us. It's so important for us to say, man, in order for me to become who it is that God wants me to become, because some of us are always focused on, yeah, but what am I supposed to do with my job? Which is, I mean, great, and God cares about that, but not as much as this. He cares more about you experiencing the reality of his resurrection and the power of his Holy Spirit than he does what you're going to do from 9 to 5 to get paid money. Like, I promise you, he cares more about this. And this will actually open up the other in ways that nothing else will. So, like, I need to be reminded of what God's done. I need to be reminded of his power. And, and I, here's the last one. So there's the power of his Holy Spirit, but you got to understand the purpose for his power. And it's people. The whole reason why you're empowered and I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit is the mission of God. That's it. 
It's not so that, you know, it's not so that you can pray eloquently. It's not so that you can, you know, be around cool things. It's not so that you can get credit for whatever or, or you know, in, in church world, we do this sometimes where we attach too much credit to a program, too much credit to a system, too much credit to a space, too much credit to some celebrity pastor or whatever, instead of, hey, here's the thing. The reality of his resurrection and the power of his Holy Spirit, all of that is really for the mission of God, which is people. It's just people. That's what God cares about. You and the you beside you. I heard this question asked this week and it just super, it was super humbling. Um, if Jesus came in this room right now and looked at you and said, hey, everything you prayed for today, yes. How many people will come to faith in Christ? Hey, you know what? Let's make it the whole week. Everything you, everybody you've prayed for this week, done. Make it a year. Everybody you've prayed for this year, everybody, every, everyone that you've, you've gotten on your knees and on your face in front of God and you're saying, please restore this relationship. Please bring breakthrough here in their life. God, please draw them into your presence. Help them to experience your love in a tangible way so they'll give their lives over to you, fully surrender, interceding on behalf of other people. What if Jesus walked in the room and said, hey, everything you're praying for, you got it. How many people in your world and in my world would meet Jesus because we were willing to go to bat and it's just like, this is what he's asking us to do. This is what the local church is about. It drives me nuts that um, church in general, not specific denominations or bins or whatever, but sometimes in the Western church, we have mission drifted to a point that we have forgotten what we're about. We are only about the hope that Christ offers. Paul says, if Jesus didn't get out of that grave, nothing else matters. It's not a social club. It's not like, yeah, sure, do good things in the name of Christ. Yeah, sure, social justice is an important thing attached only to the gospel. Like, it's just like, that's the thing that drives everything else. If we don't really believe and trust who Jesus is, and if we don't really fully surrender our lives and put our full weight on it, and, and if we're not empowered by his spirit, we're not going to do very much, is what he tells us. And all of that has a point, and the point, the purpose of all of that is people. The only reason for the power of God in your life is to fulfill the mission of God through your life. That's it. So if you're wondering, you're like, wow, this feels like a really incredible season. God's doing a really incredible work on me. Like I'm like talking in ways that I wouldn't normally talk or thinking in ways that I wouldn't normally think or engaging humanity in ways that I wouldn't normally engage humanity. Or I'm like, you know, I'm resourced in ways that I wasn't resourced before. The Bible tells us, hey, the only reason for the power of God in your life is to fulfill the mission of God through your life. That's it. Everything else doesn't hold eternal impact. You do and the you beside you. People. That's it. That's what it's about. And so the power has a purpose attached to it. And the purpose is always reaching other people, telling other people, being a witness of Jesus to other people. And it matters because at one point in time, you and me, we were that other people. And we just forget sometimes. We forget who shared the message in the hope of Jesus. We forget who prayed on our behalf. We forget who went to bat for us when we couldn't go to bat for ourselves. We forget. And, and, but he's asking you to remember in the book of Acts. 
And church, I'm asking you to remember in this season is like we're stepping into an incredible opportunity that we would just make it about the main thing. And over the course of the next two months, just lift your head. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you so that you can be a witness. And then ask him, ask him for more. God, would you just immerse me in your presence? Would you immerse me in your spirit so that I can do incredible things in your name? Not for my benefit or for my glory, but for your kingdom so that I can reach more people. That's what I'm believing for. That's what I'm hoping for in this season. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for five years of your faithfulness, of your goodness, of your doing what only you can do. It is so humbling and fun to be a part of your work. Thank you for allowing us the privilege to serve, the joy that is attached to being generous. God, thank you for making, just stirring our heart and our affection for people in ways that only you can. God, give us over to a passion for others and help us to just make sure that in this season, as we move forward as a church, that Jesus continues to be our message. It's all, it's all things are for him, through him, to him. It's only about him. And, uh, and so, God, we're grateful for the amazing work that you've done in this season, but we're hopeful and we're believing for more. And what you teach us in the book of Acts is that there is more. So would you get us close? Would you just remind us, for those of us who need to be reminded, because some of us just forgot what Jesus has done on your behalf. Asking that question, man, does my life really reflect that reality? Maybe, maybe I need to ask God, hey, show me the areas of my life that I need to just come in alignment really fully surrender, go all in with this reality of resurrection. Um, maybe you're here and you don't feel empowered to do what God's called you to do. You're in a relationship with Jesus, but you continue to struggle maybe with some of the same things and it could be relationship and man, it could be addiction and it could be all kinds of things, but you just go, God, I need your power in my life. I need you to do what only you can do. The Bible tells us, he says, ask for it, seek you got to wait. There is a waiting involved, but don't wait passively. Wait actively. Pursue him. Ask. Desire more of him. Get as close to the resurrection as possible. And then just say, God, I desperately desire more of your presence in my life. I, I'm I, in, left in my own, <laughs> left on my own. I am pretty fleshy. And I go, I go a direction I shouldn't go. God, I want more of you. I desire all that you have for me. Everything that Jesus paid for, would you give me over to your power? so that I can accomplish your mission. There's a purpose attached to it. And if you're here today and you have never given your life to Jesus, you've been doing religious things, you can show up in a church space and not have a real relationship with Jesus. You can own a Bible and not have a real relationship with Jesus. You can have all kinds of merit or works-based uh, kind of approach to life and faith and not be in a real relationship with Jesus. It's only out of the overflow of being in a personal relationship with him, really realizing there's nothing you could possibly do or bring to the table. Everything for your salvation and even sanctification is done on your behalf in Christ. Everything about growing in into the person that God's created you to be is about surrendering your life to him and then just continuing to do that. But if you're here and you've never done that, never had a moment 
where you really, the Bible tells us to confess him as Lord. If you've never had a moment where you've con- you want to confess him as Lord today and surrender your life to Jesus with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if that's you, would you just lift your hand in the room and say, that's me. I need a moment of confession. I need a moment of repentance. I need a moment where I come alive in Christ. I want to experience salvation. Amen. Is there anybody else? Awesome. Right where you are, just pray this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for taking my sin and my brokenness and my shame. And thank you for just the reality of your resurrection. Your coming alive means my coming alive in this moment. And so I leave my old self behind and I step into this new identity, this new life. Holy Spirit, would you lead me moving forward? God, thank you so much for what you're doing today. God, thank you for what you're doing in the life of our church, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet real quick. Team's going to lead us in one more song as we worship together. But something new that we're doing, we've never done it before. Um, but when you came in and you got a cup of coffee this morning and came through the lobby, there's a light wall in the lobby. Basically, it's just an opportunity for you to own your own faith. If you've never gone public with your faith, if you've never had that moment where you've called Jesus Lord, and definitely baptism is a way that we do that. But for people, man, God's doing a thing in my life and God is, he's drawing me to himself and I'm experiencing Christ in a new way. We have these little light bulbs. They're already in there. Tell a team member, hey, today I'm seeing Jesus for who he is. I'm surrendering my life to Christ for the first time. You can mark it on a next steps card, but we'll just light up a bulb in your honor. If you want to light it up, you light it up. We would love for you to light it up. But it's just a visual representation of life change. Because we want you, every time you come in, to just realize, man, God is on the move. Look what God's doing. It's wild. And so we're going to end the day just celebrating God's faithfulness over five years, celebrating his faithfulness today, looking forward with expectation for what he's going to do. Come on, let's sing together as the band leads us in worship. Here we go.